Wonderful. Well, we are moving into the third week of Advent, and we've been looking these last three weeks uh, not about this sort of fluffy sense of getting the trees and the lights ready for Christmas, but actually this sense of active, passionate, waiting for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. We've been looking back to the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and we've been looking forward with yearning to that time when he will come uh, again. And today we're going to take a deeper look at another aspect of the Advent Christmas story. We're going to look at the shepherds and the angels, uh, one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story. And we're doing it particularly to answer this question, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why did Jesus come? Why was he necessary? What did he come to bring to earth? And you know, I think it's a really important question. Uh, apparently, if you were to survey many, many, well, if you were to survey the whole of America, you would find that about three quarters of adults today still believe that Jesus was a real historical Jewish man who walked on the streets of the planet 2,000 years ago. But why? Who he really was, what he came to do, seem to be questions that are like deeply contentious. And as part of our Alpha course here at Vintage, there are some people get asked that question and they bring their, their views. And so I want to show you just a few responses to the question of who Jesus is. He is arguably the most famous person in history. Over two billion people claim to follow him. That's one third of the world's population. He's represented in art and literature more than any other figure. Time magazine called him the most influential person who has ever lived. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's a character in the Bible. <laughs> he has something to do, to do with God. Long hair, wears a white robe. <laughs> uh... I don't know. Uh, actually, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I've never personally met him, but I know a lot of people have. He was a prophet, one of them, one of the many. A nice guy from the Middle East. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. An everyday guy. A man of conviction. He knows what it feels like to be human, to be rejected. The friend of, of those that are often mocked. I don't know. A man. Yeah. Who, who lived he at one point. Nobody knows who Jesus is, let me tell you. 33-year-old carpenter from the Middle East. That's like a dude that like in the Bible says he died for us. Paved a way for us to, to live differently. He was somebody, he did live, right? But who he was to you is different. I think Jesus is just a symbol, it has symbolism. Jesus is my savior. But he could also really be a good friend. He's relatable to me. He's my everyday chance at life, the creator of all. That's why I believe this is the reason why we're all here. Yeah. Sorry, some of those are a little bit hard to hear, but the idea that Jesus was the Son of God is something that is so deeply contested. Uh, one of the things I hear in, in LA quite often is, I love the idea of God, God who flung stars into space, some sort of like creator being out there. But the idea of like needing a savior, someone who comes to rescue me, someone to be in charge of my life, that seems a little far-fetched. Maybe Jesus should be considered more in terms of great teaching or wisdom. But beyond that, maybe we should just talk about him a little bit less than we do. Well, we're going to see this morning exactly why it is we talk about Jesus. And we're going to read together from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got a smartphone, got some papyrus, whatever it is that you bring to church on Sunday morning, uh, feel free to open it. Luke 2, starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Jesus comes to bring peace. He comes to bring peace. Look in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, the angels say, and on earth peace on those in whom his favor rests. I feel like peace is one of those words that gets banded around a lot at Christmas time. Uh, we see it uh, on billboards. You see it in Christmas songs it's all over the place. Maybe even this year you'll receive a Christmas card which has the word peace on it. I've discovered this one this week. If you can read it, um, does anybody else see the irony in singing about peace on earth at a time when families get together? I, I, I don't know what your family gatherings are shaping up to look, look like this year. Like, even in, outside of Christmas, though, you know, I don't know if we still have the beauty pageants. They're probably not PC enough anymore. But remember, like Miss Universe of old, and they say, well, Miss Universe, what is it that you long for? And the answer would always be world peace, world peace. Like we long for peace. But despite the fact that we long for it, I wonder if peace is a word, it's a concept that we largely misunderstand. And because we misunderstand it, we therefore look for it in all of the wrong places. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong, as as many of you know, and uh, in Hong Kong there is this whole industry uh, called the fake. There There are fakes, there are genuine fakes, there are authentic fakes, there are authentic, original, genuine fakes, and many other types of fake. Um, I never found out what the difference between all of those um, things was. Um, but I remember uh, at a time when uh, England were also in a World Cup that they didn't win. Um, <laughs> back, back in 1990, sorry, I'll take a moment. Okay, I'm okay now. Uh, uh, <laughs> back in 1998, uh, I, I was, uh, it was the middle of summer, and I went to a Hong Kong market, and there in the middle of the market was a jacket, a, an England football, uh, football team jacket. And uh, on it was, was like the England crest, and it said England on it. And I was just like, it was a, you know, probably five US dollars or something ridiculous. So I, I immediately took it home. I don't know why, because it's very hot and tropical in Hong Kong, and you don't need a jacket, but, but I just loved it. And so I took it home and wore, it for the whole of the World Cup. Um, and I remember one day, I think England must have been playing. So I got up in the morning and I put on my, my England jersey underneath and I put on my England jacket over the top and I looked in the mirror thinking I'm a hardcore fan now. Uh, and as I looked in the mirror, I realized there was something not quite right uh, because, because my England jersey underneath had this logo that you can see on the screen there. That's the three lions. That's what the England team's called. Uh, and that was great. And then I looked at my jacket and I realized that it didn't have three lions on it. In fact, it had four uh, lions uh, on, on the jacket. I also smelled the jacket and realized it smelled terrible and, and then realized it was falling to bits. So I thought I better put it in the wash quickly. Um, and it never returned. <laughs> it never returned. It fell to pieces and that was the end of it. 
I could tell you about my, my Rolex that I bought for a few dollars that I wore proudly for a few days until I forgot to take it off before I got in the shower and it never worked ever again. You see, the whole point of the counterfeit thing is it looks brilliant. It looks like you're getting a deal. It looks like you're getting the very thing that you want in your life. And then you realize after just a few days you've been ripped off because it never actually really provides the thing that you are wanting all along. And I tell you that story because I wonder if we do the same with peace. We long for peace. We long to feel better internally. We search for peace within ourselves. If only I can deal with my anxieties and my fears and my terrors, all the things that churn up inside me which don't allow me peace. And we think, if only I can find that thing that is going to fix my peace, then everything will be okay. And what do we do? We reach for something. We look for something. We grab hold of something which will deal with the inner turmoil we face. We face. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's like even something like online shopping, which as far as I can deem was, was built for this exact reason. You know, you, you sort of feel something's a bit wrong inside, and so you reach for your device and you order something online, and then you wait three days for it to come. And then when it arrives, you realize you never needed it in the first place or wanted it. And so if you're really brave, you send it straight back again. You know, we, we, we long for things that are just going to give us that hit, the dopamine hit of the smartphone, something which will just give us a better feeling. And I think we do it with long-term things too as well, don't we? If only. If only I could just get my relationship that I want. If only I get the job I want or the salary I want or the house I want or the body that I want. If only I can have the perfect Christmas. If I get all of it laid out correctly then I will find peace within myself. And of course, to the extent that God provides blessings and we can be grateful for the good things he provides, that is great. But we all know, really, they're not sources of peace. I shared a, a few weeks ago that uh, Laura and I, in 2008, we went through a really hard period in our lives where we went through the recession and almost lost a business and just almost lost everything we had, really. Um, but as, as that kind of like eased and, and we started to kind of see new life came, we, we got into this position. We were, we were still like really churning and wrestling with things, but we had this opportunity to buy a home. Uh, our first home. Now, don't, don't think of one of the kind of like $2 million houses in LA. This was a, a small box uh, in the outskirts of London, which really wasn't worth a lot of money. But, but, but we thought like, yes, if we could just have a home, then maybe that will help us deal with the, the, the turmoil and, the, and the, the stress of our lives. And so we bought this, this home, and for a few days we were like, yeah, come on, we've, this, is, you know, this is what every person's supposed to long for, our home. And we, we were like, this is great. And then after about a week, I thought, hmm, it's just some walls, isn't it? Or it's, it's just, doesn't, doesn't seem to be doing it for me. Something's not quite right. And so I thought, ah, maybe the problem is what's inside the house isn't right. So, I, so I, it was like that kind of time in history when everyone was beginning to transition from those kind of TVs, which used to be like, you know, two foot wide and 
three foot deep that, that took out half your living room. And uh, someone had given us one and it was terrible and falling to bits. So I was like, maybe the problem is when I go home, I don't feel it because I'm, I haven't got the big enough TV. So somebody amazingly gave us one of the a huge first generation LCD TV. I mean, it was not like as big as that, but, but it, it felt ridiculous. And I persuaded Laura to allow us to have it above the fireplace. And we bolted it on the wall and it just took up half the living room. And, and I sat there for a few days thinking, this is it. This is it. I can go home at night. I can sit back in my house and watch my TV. What could be better than that? And for a few days, it was awesome. And then after a few more days, it was like, it's the TV. And so I thought, okay, maybe the problem is I don't have the right seat to sit on. And if I got the right seat and someone was selling some like secondhand lazy boys, you know, lazy boys, they were all the rage back then. Like, you know, these were particularly ugly ones, actually. They were like black fake leather. And uh, so we, we bought them and put them in front of the TV, like right there. TV was right there. Pull the lever, you get back, you know, just sit there. It's just like the dream. And then after a couple more days, I was like, I still feel anxious. I still feel stressed. Like all these things are not fixed my life. Now, I'd love to tell you that, oh, that's just me being stupid and young and I, I, you know, I'm much wiser now. But if I'm really honest, is it true to say that every day of my life, I am bombarded by commercials, by social media, by people around me basically hinting at, if only, if only you could get that, that's the thing that will bring peace to your life. But of course, we all know deep down that all of those things are just temporary. They're fragile, they're fleeting. They might manage a few days worth of happiness, but they certainly won't change your life. Peace is actually not available anywhere if we're just looking at what we accumulate or if, in fact, if we do anything that just starts with us. Peace is not available in here if we're trying to find it on ourselves. And let me just say this gently and carefully. That's also why I think mindfulness, meditation, yoga, all those kind of nice things might help a little bit, but they'll never get you peace because they are all about us. And peace doesn't start with us. Peace doesn't originate inside. In the same ways that I also actually want to tell you this morning that peace doesn't originate outside in the world around us. In that idea of having world peace. See, in Jesus' time, people were desperate for what they thought peace was. The Jews were desperate to see an end to oppression. They were seeing an end to Roman rule over taxation. They were desperate for a Messiah who would come and rescue them. And so they longed and they yearned for him. I feel like in our culture too, in a slightly different way, we too hold that sense of a yearning for the world to be put right. In our culture, I think it looks a bit different. We have lines like, well, everyone and everything is completely equal. Every idea is equal. And so what we really need to do to find peace is we need to remove anything and everything that is a threat to peace between people. Now, of course, as Bishop Zach said last week, to the extent that that allows us to see people properly and sees an end to things like racism and hatred and murder and violence, of course that's right. 
But the problem is, is that we also find that if we just see peace as the absence of bad things, actually it quickly leads us back into violence. It's amazing actually how much violence can be caused in the name of peace if your idea is to just eradicate bad things from the world. Why? Because of course everybody and anybody who's around us who is sees, sees as a threat to our peace, as our friend John Tyson sees, says, anyone who brings any hint of real or perceived or theoretical violence has to be eliminated because they could threaten the peace and our status quo. Maybe even as we look around the world of the last few years, whether it's like right out there, war and riots and things which are caused in the name of peacekeeping, or whether it's actually something a little bit different too, violence comes in the pursuit of peace. When when Laura and I were, were just about to get married, we went on a, a marriage preparation weekend. And I don't remember that much about it, if I'm really honest. Um, but I remember one incredible bit of information that was given, which was this advice, is that when people uh, uh, face conflict, they tend to respond in two ways. Uh, the first group of people are like rhinos. Uh, when they see something that's out there that's like a dispute or a problem situation, they put their head down, they put their horn up, and they run straight towards the problem. Um, if you are here this morning, you are sitting next to someone who is a rhino. You know, just be, be, gentle with, be gentle with them. But other people are not rhinos. Actually, they're hedgehogs. And, and hedgehogs, when they see a, a problem, they don't, they don't run toward the problem. What do they do? They curl up in a ball and put up their sharp spikes to make sure that nobody can harm them. And in fact, as I learned and have learned in the years since then, actually both of those are forms of conflict. Both of those are forms of aggression. One might be outwardly aggressive, the other one is passively aggressive. And I wonder as we look around the world today, maybe when we think about like, oh, we're going to get peace between other people, it's not a question of necessarily going out on the streets and beating people up, but how easy is it for us when we see somebody who doesn't agree with us to cancel them, to ghost them, to think, I know I'm going to draw a box around my life, which is peace. And the way I do it is I basically exclude everybody and anybody who doesn't agree with me. And we think we have peace. We don't have peace. We have a very, very uneasy ceasefire, but we don't have peace. Peace is something different. A deeper peace, a peace that originates somewhere different is what we really need. And it's exactly what the angels come to speak to their shepherds about. A peace that is not human, but a peace that originates and comes from God and flows out into humanity. And what we find in the Bible is that that peace is not automatic. In fact, it's hard to come by because there is a conflict. There is an animosity. There is an estrangement and hostility between humans and God. You might even say that God and humans have historically been at war with one another. 
Now, that might sound a little strong, and if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this morning, I'm so, we're so glad you're here. I really appreciate you just coming and being amongst this community. But you might think, well, Ben, I'm not, I'm not at war with God. You know, I might not agree with everything that you, you say, you Christians, about who Jesus is, but I, I'm not at war with him. But actually, if we delve into it a little deeper, we realize as humans that we are at war with God. We are at war with the very fundamental truth of who's in charge around here. God or humanity, the creator or the creation. You remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, living peacefully under the rule of the creator, and then suddenly in Genesis chapter 3, along comes this serpent, serpent, the life coach. And the life coach, she says, hey, Adam and Eve, if you want to be in charge, if you want to be happy, if you want to be peaceful, you've got to be in control. You've got to be in control. True fulfillment comes when you call the shots, when you decide for yourself and you identify for yourself what is right and wrong and who you really are. Don't let some God tell you. That won't help you at all. And so what we see is the created reject the creator. We became our own gods. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout humanity, you see that cycle going over and over and over again. Like we just want to be, we're just at war with God. We reject him and we reject his godships. We reject his authority and his sovereignty. We're like children who reject their teacher and say, thanks, we've got this. My son, Will, he was at, he turned 12 this week. I don't know where he just got so big. He seems to be on like an accelerated pathway toward growing. Um, but he, uh, imagine he turned up on his 12th birthday and said, hey, mom, dad, you know what? I've just had some thoughts. You know, if, if from now on, uh, you could just keep the food flowing and the washing uh, and if you could just keep the roof over the head and the toys arriving in my life and, uh, and, and, and just everything that I need when I want it, um, I'll tell you and that would be great. And when I'm a bit hurt, if you could just comfort me, that would be great. But actually, anything else is off limits now. Like, we're not, I'm not really interested in what you have to say about stuff. Um, uh, so, so if you could just do that, that would be great. Like, that would have actually been I mean, very hurtful to us. Next year, he's 13 and becomes a teenager. So it's quite possible that's what will happen. But, um, <laughs> but isn't that exactly what we do with God? Hey, God, we love that you're there. Please, would you give us all the genie-like things we need when we're sick, when we're hurting, when we've run out of money, whatever we need. Can you just do the stuff we want? But actually, we've got no interest in you being in our lives, really. We reject the idea of God. But the problem comes is that sooner or later we realize that actually we're deeply unqualified to be in charge. <laughs> I think the evidence in the jury is already in. We do not have the power, the wisdom, the sovereignty, the authority, the love, the grace, the mercy, the justice to do a good job of being God's. The world today is still in brokenness and injustice as it has been forever, pretty much. I mean, 100 years ago, people built this incredible building to the glory of God. But I tell you, the underlying vision that they wrote down was that they thought by 1950, the world would be all devoid of conflict, of violence, of hunger, of homelessness. And because of that, they thought that everyone would be a Christian, so that they built a really big building because they would need to house all the Christians that would come. 100 years later, we're still in the midst of it. We still live with that sense of brokenness, don't we? 
but it is why Jesus comes. Jesus comes to do something about the problem, to provide and bring real peace into our lives. And when Jesus' peace, his blinding beauty comes to these shepherds, it says they're terrified. Now, that's kind of a weird thing at first because most people are not terrified by the light. They're terrified by the dark. But these shepherds are terrified of the light. Why? Well, they're terrified of the light because it is the glory of God that shines around and it reveals things. In fact, throughout the Bible, whenever the glory of God shines, what we see is that humanity is generally a little bit terrified because when God's glory and beauty and love appears, actually his divinity reveals our mortality. His beauty reveals our ugliness. His power reveals our impotence. His wisdom reveals our ignorance. His love reveals our hatred. People run sometimes when they are confronted by the glory of God. But yet, but yet, the great news that the angels say to the shepherds is this. Do not be afraid. I have great news. Why? Because God has come to bring, to make peace with you. To bring peace in our relationship with God, to find forgiveness, to come back under his loving rule, to find life in the way it was always designed to be. And it's that which Advent brings into our life. If you this morning have no peace on any level of your life, God says to you, come and find peace this Christmas time. Cornelius Plantinga, great name for a theologian, he says this, the peace that God is talking about in the Advent story is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. And it's such a radically different idea, you know, because I think when we talk about peace, we start with this idea, well, it's about us, and you know, inner peace with us. And then if we get inner peace, right, then we can have relational peace with those around us. And then, of course, if there is a God, he'll be really pleased with us because we've done everything right and everyone's doing a nice job of getting on, and so therefore there will be religious peace. When yet what we find in the Advent story is the fact that it works the other way up completely. Is that actually that it starts with God bringing divine peace to us in the coming of Jesus. And that from his divine peace we find our peace, and of course, then we are able to be agents of peace in the world. But how do you get it? How do you find this purpose, this identity, this restoration of your relationship with God? Well, the first part of it is we recognize that we are part of the bigger story, that what we see is not all that exists. In 1931, Two scholars spent hours and hours discussing Jesus. One was a passionate Christian. His name was a guy called J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of Lord of the Rings. Correct. The other one was a passionate agnostic and scientist. His name was C.S. Lewis, who was the writer of Narnia and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And one night they had this massive debate and discussion about the nature and the purpose of who Jesus is. And C.S. Lewis, he, he said this later on. He said, how deep I am now just beginning to see 
because I think I have passed from believing in a God to definitely believing in Jesus Christ in Christianity. And later on, they both wrote about what had happened. And what happened was that Tolkien had said to C.S. Lewis, would you think for a moment, C.S. Lewis, about what happens to you when you look out at the world, when you encounter beauty, when you encounter something that makes you feel good, when you consider art and music or experiences of nature? And C.S. Lewis later wrote, he said, when you are around presences of great literature, art, music, or nature, it can bring feelings of ecstasy which cause the individual for the moments to transcend himself. Such moments are rare, but they may come with a mounting sense of peace, of grandeur, in the presence of natural beauty or with the piercing sweetness of hearing a certain strain of music, an experience of enormous bliss, of being transported to awesome heights which make the close world seem far away. He goes on to write, he said later on, he said, the problem is, is that the books or the music in which we thought that the beauty originated will betray us if we trust in them. In fact, it was not in them at all. It only came through them. And what came through them was a longing for more. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, the good images are good images of what we really actually desire. But if we mistake them for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we've not heard, news from a country we've not yet visited. Basically, what C.S. Lewis realized is the things that he thought would bring him peace, the beautiful, the good, the lovely things, were actually only signposts. They were echoes of something greater, of Jesus Christ. And it is in Advent where we realize that the bigger story is not about me. The story of history is not a story of me. It's a story of him. It is his story, Jesus Christ. In the real Advent story, we realize in a not vague way or even a theoretical way or some sort of like maybe, if possibly kind of way, but in a concrete, historical, actual way, that which is behind everything exists burst forward into the foreground of the shot and we realize that God loves us and brings us peace. That's why he comes and he comes to be not just out there, but in here, and to return to being Lord, Lord of our lives. That's why in verse 10 and 11, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior is being born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Now, the word Lord is a kind of interesting word. It's the word kyrios in the Greek. It's actually packed full of significance and meaning. In the third century BC, uh, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And, and by the time the Septuagint was written, really good uh, Jewish people were actually quite scared to use the name of God, which is the word Yahweh. Remember that from I am who I am and Moses at the burning bush, but they wouldn't say it. A little bit like the opposite of like Voldemort in, in Harry Potter. It was like off limits. 
And so when they came to write down the Septuagint, they actually translated the word for God into a different word, which is the word Kyrios for Lord. But actually it means literally God. What the, what the angels say is he is the Messiah, God. Behold, this baby is not just an ordinary baby. He is God himself, God with us. And that's the linchpin of Christianity. It is the central claim that we all have to contend with sooner or later, that Jesus is God, not just a nice idea. Yes, we can have our eyes stirred by beauty. Yes, we can enjoy great food. Yes, we can enjoy music. Yes, we can even climb mountains and feel our hearts trans, like our hearts like lifted to the heavens. But only in Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus, is peace and life on offer to us. And you know, it's a massive claim. It's a massive countercultural kind of claim. But somebody who knew all about beauty and truth and still does, a guy called Bono from U2, says it really well. It's not a far-fetched claim to me. Look, the secular response to the Christian story always goes like this. He was a nice, great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, I am God incarnate. So what you're left with is either that Christ was who he said he was or a complete nutcase. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization over half the globe could have had its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, to me, that is far fetched. Jesus came to become Lord of our lives again. Not theoretical, philosophical belief or something we can just argue about, but actually to be the center of our lives. On earth, the angels say, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the good news is, and it is good news because it can sound scary and it can sound hard, is that it is a joyful peace. It's a joyful peace. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people when it means there is all types of people. Sometimes we think this idea that Jesus could be in relationship must be for the religious elite, for those who climb the moral ladder, for those of us who know how to say the right words and attend the right kind of services, when actually we realize it's for everyone. It's amazing that the angels appear to the shepherds. It's amazing that the angel appeared to Mary, as Zach told us last week, but these are shepherds, right? They're not, they're not wealthy landowners. They're not the religious elite. They're not people who have everything together. They actually are people on the edge of things. And what we find out is by the fact that Jesus turns up to the shepherds means that actually he doesn't favor the overachievers or the successful or those who climb the moral ladder. But the good news is that it is for you and it's for me. Shepherds were blue collar workers out in a field at night working someone else's land because they couldn't afford their own land and their own animals. It comes on offer to all of us. It's an offer. And so as I, I finish, I just want to leave you with this this morning. God longs to bring peace to you. But not necessarily a peace that just makes you feel better. Or not necessarily a peace that makes you feel all warm and cuddly inside. Or even that promises that there'll be no more conflict in your life. 
But actually, as the letter to the Philippians says, it is a peace that surpasses, transcends all understanding. So maybe this morning, maybe you would think, I've never received that peace. I've never, ever given my life to Jesus. Or maybe for many of us, it's just that so many other things have kind of got in the way. So many other places have become the central place that we look for peace. And maybe this Advent time, Jesus would say to us, come back. Allow me to be Lord of your life again. Allow me to bring the ultimate peace to bear in your life, which will transcend all other things that you look for. So we're going to just pray uh, for a moment. And as our kids come back in, uh, we'll, then, uh, we'll then move to taking bread and wine and remember Jesus' death and resurrection. But let's just take a moment uh, of stillness and invite the Holy Spirit to just come and speak into our lives.